From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. It's become increasingly obvious that the promotion of diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, has exploded on college campuses. But what's been less talked about is the staff at these universities who are helping to facilitate it. Did you know that the average U.S. college employs 45 DEI officials, and that number is growing? DEI offices are led by people with titles like Senior Associate Vice President for Diversity and Equity. And of course, these central offices all have subordinates. Additionally, almost all universities have something like a Multicultural Affairs Center. Most also have women's centers. LGBTQ centers and Hispanic Latino centers. These centers have directors, assistant directors, program assistants, graduate and undergraduate interns and administrative staff. To help understand the scope of this type of staffing at our universities, Heritage created an interactive graphic that allows you to explore DEI personnel levels at 65 universities. You can even compare the ratio of DEI personnel to core teaching personnel like history professors or special accommodation staff. Sadly, this is just the beginning of this story. Jay Green, the heritage researcher behind the interactive graphic, recently published a new report. It turns out that an overwhelming number of these diversity officers at colleges across the country also hold anti-Israel views. After this short break, we'll talk to Green about his findings. The Biden administration has been in power for almost a year. And the radical left has been imposing its dangerous ideology on America. Not only do they want to expand government control and promote cancel culture, but they also want to rewrite our nation's history, indoctrinate American students in our public school system, attack our traditional values of honor, liberty, and justice for all, and implement a Marxist agenda that unleashes socialism throughout our country. Here at the Heritage Foundation, we need your help to finish the year strong and prepare for the battles that lie ahead in 2022. By making a tax-deductible year-end gift right now, you'll help advance your principles, free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and a strong national defense at a time when our nation needs these principles most. Visit heritage.org slash year-end to make your tax-deductible donation today. Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So why did you decide to start this research? So um, we wanted to help explain why the values being taught in schools are increasingly out of line with what families, communities, state legislators want. Um, I think that there was a theory, uh, particularly on the right, that the reason why things were the way they were was that schools had been captured by radicals uh, as teachers and administrators, that they were radicals and that they were 
they had themselves had been brainwashed in ed school and so on, that there was kind of a long-term conspiracy here going on. And I, I think that that was mistaken. I suspect it was mistaken. And instead, our belief is that the average teacher, the average administrator, the average student in, in college actually is not radical at all. They're fairly centrist. Uh, they may not be quite where, where our listeners would, would wish them to be, but they're not radicals for the most part. And we have a lot of polling data to confirm that. So instead, our theory, um, which I think we've helped demonstrate with a series of reports, is that there is an activist, very well-organized activist group of students and faculty on college campuses, and now it's making its way down into K-12. And that activist group has, has an organizational advantage that allows them to impose their preferences on everyone else. But it's not popular within those institutions, and it's not popular in the general public. And I think that's good news for us because it means that ultimately we're going to win. Um, we just have to highlight what's going on, get people to counter-organize, and then we're going to beat the current uh, uh, minority of, of folks who, who have imposed this on us. So tell me a little bit more about who this activist group is. Sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, a main activist group is organized by the diversity, equity, and inclusion staff in higher ed. So... Those all sound like good words. Um, uh, you know, they sound like red flags to me. Uh, well, that you've been trained, <laughs> you've been you, you've been alerted. But you know, to to most people in the world, um, you know, they think diversity is a good thing, and they should think diversity is a good thing because it is. Um, inclusion is a nice thing. Equity sounds like a good word. Equality, although it's it's really a bad word. Um, but it all sounds good to people. Um, but hidden within this diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI effort is, um, is really a political movement to impose the opposite of those things. And they're the people who are essentially the political commissars articulating and enforcing an ideological orthodoxy within those institutions. So your recent study tried to decide if these DEI personnel are promoting behaviors that would create this welcoming environment that they're supposed to be doing. What did you, what did you find? So in the most, we have a series, we have a trilogy. Um, you know, there was a Star Wars trilogy and now we have a DEI uh, trilogy and in that order. So we had Diversity University, then Equity Elementary, and the most recent report is Inclusion Delusion. Um, and in Inclusion Delusion, we looked at um, 741 DEI staff at 65 universities who have Twitter accounts, and we just analyzed the content of their Twitter accounts to see what they had to say about Israel and, for comparison purposes, what they had to say about China. And we suspected, and the data confirmed, that um, they're obsessed with Israel relative to China. They talk almost three times as much about Israel as China, but also they're almost completely critical of Israel. 96% of all of these Twitter communications were critical of Israel, while those about China, 62% were favorable. Wow. Um, and what we think that is it's a window into their thought process. Um, they're not simply promoters of human rights. Um, they have a very particular political agenda 
um, that is a progressive political agenda, and and that's what they enforce, not general and universally applied principles of human rights or 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 you know concern for for peace in the world. Um, that's not not uh, clearly their agenda, and we I, I think we're able to capture what their agenda really is by analyzing what they talk about on Twitter. So can you give me an example of some of these tweets that you analyzed? Sure. Now, um, now remember, these are things that they tweeted, retweeted, or liked. So not all of these were authored by, by them, um, uh, but, uh, but they are signaling that this is what they believe. And, sure. and so that's – and anyone who would look at their Twitter feeds would get that. Right. That impression. And we also think that this then reflects how they think and what they're doing when they're on campus as well. Um, so some of these are not family friendly for a, for a, for a family po- podcast like this. Um, so earmuffs, basically. So, r- right. Um, uh, so, you know, one person uh, liked the, the tweet that says, y'all love to add the word liberal in front of the most evil things and it's unhinged I don't know this is members <laughs> twitter um wtf uh, is a liberal zionist what's next liberal nazi liberal colonizer liberal murderer liberal imperialist liberal fascist so clearly to this person someone who is a zionist someone who believes that there's a jewish homeland in israel um, that person is equivalent to a Nazi, a colonizer, a murderer, an imperialist, and a fascist. Wow. Or things like, Israel has a particular loathing for children. They target them with violence specifically and intentionally every single day. So this is a, a classic anti-Semitic trope of, of child sacrifice, uh, yeah. that Jews are engaged in some sort of ritualistic slaughter of children. Um, and um, again, it's 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 an intemperate tone uh, for people who have a professional obligation to be inclusive and to reduce hate and bias. They're yeah. clearly doing the opposite. Yeah, at least with respect to Jews. The, and then the question is, which groups are the groups that they think they need to be welcoming towards, and which are the groups that they don't mind sticking it to? And I think that reflects a broader worldview they have. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the context of all of this. Anti-Semitic attacks on universities are on the rise, correct? They are. Um, Things have started to get pretty bad on college campus. And again, I think a lot of people on the right suspect that the reason for this is just that higher ed is just, you know, filled with, with people who have all sorts of awful ideas. But it's mostly not. You know, it's mostly... Our children, right, are the students there, and they're they're mostly not crazy people. Um, but uh, because of an emboldened minority group of activists who are being unchecked by university authorities, um, things have gotten very bad on campus um, rhetorically, but also physical violence, graffiti, um, uh, mezuzahs, which are um, – uh, Jewish uh, uh, signs that people would have on the door of their dorm room uh, are being torn. These are religious symbols are being torn off mm-hmm. their dorm rooms. I mean, it's a little bit like lighting fire to a Christmas tree in front of Fox News right. or something, right? These these are attacks on people's religious symbols, and they're meant to intimidate them from from practicing their beliefs or or holding those identities. So you've done these series of reports on this 
theme. And clearly DEI personnel are, are not doing their job. What can we do to change this? So it, this is a tough one um, because, you know, we at Heritage like to think of policy solutions. And, um, and there are policy solutions here, but there's no single one that's going to do it. So the most important policy solution, which involves actually a whole set of actions, which is we have to starve the beast. So universities are awash in too much money. I know, I know they say opposite, um, but they, they are awash in too much money. And the more money they have, the more nonsense they can indulge. And so we need to begin to really scale back the extent of public subsidy of higher education. Um, the, the, and there are many forms of this. Um, and, and as a general policy matter, I think at Heritage, we're deeply suspicious of all of these forms of subsidies and are, are thinking about ways of restructuring our higher education system so that it doesn't live off of taxpayer support in this extreme way. And that taxpayer support is not just uh, uh, unjust um, in that it takes from you know working class people and redistributes wealth to um, uh, uh, wealthier um, people who are in, enrolled in college, but also it's it's again indulging very dysfunctional and nonsensical behavior. So we want to reduce the amount of money that goes to the universities, and that in turn will reduce the size of this staff. Right. The the so uh, in a forthcoming study, um, we we look at um, uh, federal subsidies for research activity at universities, and they pay a very high rate for overhead on research grants, 60 percent overhead rates. No one else pays that rate, but the federal government does, and it's worth billions of dollars to higher education every year. And we also find that the institutions with more indirect rate money from the federal government, more overhead expenditures from the federal government, those are the institutions that have larger DEI staff. That is, they're, they're getting larger subsidies from the feds, and they use those profits to pay for things they wish to indulge. Um, so it, it indulges mischief here. That makes sense. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this, and thank you for your important research, and we'll have you back for that, that upcoming report. Thanks. Looking forward to it. And that's it for this week's episode. Merry, Merry Christmas to you and your loved ones. We hope you have a warm, healthy, and safe holiday, and we'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher with editing by John Pop.